Hello, everyone, and welcome to the third Commune podcast on Metroid Prime Federation Force. My name is Daniel, and I am joined by the two other members of the Elite Federation Force crew. Uh, that is Greg. Greg, please say hello once again. Hello. And Adrian. Adrian, please say hello. Hello. So, as mentioned, uh, this is the third podcast. Um, in the previous two podcasts, we discussed uh, Federation Forces game mechanics and dynamics and how um, these things are unique to Federation Force and how they're sort of different from other first-person shooter games. Uh, in the previous podcast, we talked about um, how each mission um, has its own sort of style of gameplay and we were... We looked at the campaign overall and we broke the overall campaign uh, into different um, gameplay types. And so for this third podcast, we're going on to look at some of our favorite missions in the game and talk in depth about those. But before we get onto that, uh, in the in the previous podcast, we were discussing how you've got, in Federation Force, you've got these different types of gameplay. For example, you know some missions are your standard shooting missions. Um, some missions are you know, missions where you have to take an object and move it to another point um, in the level. You've got um, you know, other missions that are about um, you know, defending a certain chunk of land. Um, and you've got sort of sandboxy levels, survival levels, um, bait and trap levels. And we went through you know, about eight or so different types. And one of the questions that we had remaining was, um, you know, what's the relationship? between the levels um, that the player has access to at any one stage. Because, you know, you don't actually play the campaign in a linear order from mission one through to, through to the final mission. You, know, you can actually choose several missions at once. And so we had, this, uh, we had this question that we didn't quite answer in the last podcast, which is what's the relationship between the different types of missions and the spread of missions that you have available at one point in the game. Um, and so we've put these on together and we'll probably you know, present this information you know, somewhere on the site. But um, Adrian, what, what did we find? What did we find? Well, well, when I broke it down and listed all of the missions and organized them by row and by type, we found that for every row, which usually is where, your op where you have an option to select between three different missions, or hell, even if you were doing them all in order, uh, you would never do the same type of mission twice. It was always organized in such a way so that if if in one mission you were doing a bait and trap, the next one would absolutely not be that. So if you do, say, a search and destroy mission for mission eight, the next one would become a deliver and defend and also have a ball thrown in there which we will be covering later. And then the mission after that is a survival mission. They make it so that whether, even if you do them in order and even if you do it out of order, you're going to have quite a bit of variety. Mm. So there's variety in the sense that there are multiple types of gameplay, but even when the campaign is sectioned out into individual sets of missions, even within each set, there's variety there and so it's these two things up together that make the whole campaign constantly feel fresh yeah and so they structure the missions in such a way so that even when they give you an option to select any random mission you're still going to be doing something new mm. greg did you have anything that you wanted to add no i guess it's just uh it it's a good show of how varied the gameplay is that uh, not only are there a million different level types, but you can select from three at the same time and you'll never have two levels of the same type back-to-back. -back. Like, mm. that's just how varied the uh, gameplay can be. Yeah, cool. I was going to say that each uh, row of missions, so when you divide them into the rows, you would, the rows that come later even though they're different from the missions that came before them, they still feel like they should come after them. That is, there's a sense of things getting harder as they go along. So just because mission four is a bait and trap mission and mission eight 
is a search and destroy mission. Mission eight still feels like it should come after mission four, even though you're doing different things. Of course, me bringing up mission four, doing that on hard mode, it is actually one of the harder missions in the game. It took us mm -hmm. the longest to complete. So there is some areas where the difficulty is strange. Yeah, it, it does spike in one or two levels, but um... I think, uh, that's and that's natural from like how different the gameplay is, but also probably part of that is personal skills will apply more to one type than another, so it's going to be hard to cater the difficulty curve to all players. Right. I guess a better way to say it is that um, it, that difficulty difficulty spike mostly happened because we were trying to get a gold rank on it. Um, it's also what hard mode how hard mode adjusts those enemies to where they do so much damage that they kill you and would hit. Which naturally, even when you're doing mission 18, uh, those air pirates aren't going to kill you in one hit. They'll do 50 damage off a missile, but it's not as severe as say an ice titan hitting you. Mm. which is what that mission is um, all about. Um, yeah, I think we'll probably uh, possibly in the next podcast talk a bit more about some of those, uh, you know, those gold medal or those three medal objectives and how um, meeting those objectives changes the nature of the mission. Um, so, you know, I guess our main takeaway here is that Within the whole campaign, there is um, various different types of gameplay. Within the missions that, yeah, within each block of missions that the player has access to at each time, there is variety. And as you were saying, Greg, it can be difficult to sort of, um, um, because the missions are so diverse and therefore test different um, player skills and also the, you know, the cooperation between different players that. You know, that's a you know it can be hard to to um sort of perfectly optimize on the game in a way that it has that smooth curve but overall we would say that considering the the variety of gameplay on offer that it's a really um pretty smooth game and there are a few bumps within the campaign and some of those bumps come from uh, you know the intricacies of um, of trying to get you know three medals, which is a whole other topic. So with that said, I think we might jump into our favorite levels. Um, now, obviously, um, you know, there's a lot of variety, as we've said, in the campaign. Um, and, and that would say that this is probably true um, for you guys as well. But it's pretty hard to choose a favorite level. Like, they're all pretty memorable, I found. Do you feel the same way, Adrian? Yeah. It stinks that like uh when we have discussions like this so i'd like to have a, a representative set so that like you can imagine the rest of the game but uh <laughs> to do that we'd have to do every single mission yeah yeah that's right we've chosen three levels and we've chosen um three levels that that um fit three different categories of gameplay so we're going to be talking uh, in detail about um, the three levels. So um, I would suggest that, uh, that you play along at home, uh, dear listener. So you are welcome to have a look at the videos that we've got there on the site. Um, or you can you know, treat this as a sort of uh, video, uh, as a sort of um, commentary that you can listen to as you play through the mission itself. Um, either way, um, having some access to the game as you listen will greatly enhance your understanding of our discussion. So give it a shot. Um, and I guess um, before the podcast, we decided you know, that we'd start off with a simple shooting level. Um, and that level is the level that I picked. It is called, it's called Incursion and it's Mission 19. Um, just to provide a bit of context on this level, uh, it is uh, right near the end of the game, and it's the last standard shooting level in the game. I mean, you know, there are two boss levels, but you know, and there's obviously a lot of shooting in them. But this is yeah. the the last arena-based shooting against regular enemies. So, uh, Incursion is set on the Ice Planet, uh, so it does have that thematic context. Um, 
And because it is um, the last mission within the campaign to be a standard shooting mission, that what it's the most difficult and has a higher le uh, the highest level of variation. And we're going to explore that one right now. So um, it's not in our notes, but um, there is an initial room or outside area that you start off in, you know, just to orientate yourself. But, um, but um, you know, five seconds into the game, you're through that first area and you're into the first room, which is an arena. It's a sort of, I don't know, like a hexagonal um, shaped arena. Um, there is a layer um, there is a sort of a, um, a scaffold. Yeah, like a scaffolding area along the side. So, um, so pirates they can come in on the side, um, and then there's like this open central arena, um, and there's a few um, sort of ice pillars there which you can use the charge shot to to break. But at this stage, you know these ice pillars they're optional. Um, Adrian, did you want to take it away from here? We can go through the waves. Yeah. So. When you first enter the room, the first wave spawns about 10 or so eye flyers from the center of the room near the ceiling. Uh, usually dealing with eye flyers is a matter of, uh, you know, locking on and I find, I find um, using the pallets or just doing the rapid fire, the weakest shot you have is the most effective way of dealing with them because of how quick they move to where trying to get them with the gyro aim as they're moving is still just really hard so you want to get them in those periods where they zip across and then hold still for a few seconds they're kind of like mm. shoes in zelda's where they just where they kind of stop and pop so there you're sacrificing the uh explosion bonus right for when you charge shot someone yes well well with that tactic you are but i mean in saying that it's still possible to charge shot your um your eye flyers um, and get yeah. your max point on them, but you, just you know it take mind. it's pretty high risk. Um, but you do get a reasonable reward too. So yeah, it's it's a difference between five points and hundred points because one pellet will waste them. They're one of the like lowest health enemies in the game. Mm. I think it's also worth adding that it's easier to do the pellet option if you're going for the three medals because the time uh the time cap on this on this level so one the of the part time yeah the part time you know that is quite tight um and so you really want to be moving you want to be both moving through the um the rooms really quickly but at the same time getting a really high score which is you know the main challenge on this level so another reason why you why I usually opt for getting rid of the eye flyers as quick as I can is because pirates will spawn in. They have a, a staggered spawn time, so the eye flyers come first, and then the pirates come afterwards. They're not triggered when the eye flyers are are dead. They have a theirs is um, based on time. So if you leave the eye flyers around too long, you're going to have to deal with both them and the pirates shooting at you. So pirates will spawn in on all sides of the room. Uh, up on the and, scaffold, please. Yeah, up on the scaffold, which means that they have the higher ground, which means it's harder to shoot them. So oftentimes, what you'll need to do in order to get them when they pull, when they move backwards, is you'll need to jump and then fire a shot uh, to hit them. Mm. You just got to make sure you don't hit the rail. Aren't there two types of pirates in this one? Like the regular pirates and the yeah. troopers? Is that correct? Yeah, that's what I was about to get to. While the while the Sorry. pirates. While the pirates are out there trying to flank you, there's the troopers that are jumping down and coming over to slash you. So at, at its worst, you're dealing with three different types of enemies layered together. The eye flyers that are high up in the air that you have to aim upward and also kind of lose vision of the troopers. So make use of that minimap when you can. You have the pirates who are off to the side trying to flank you. Remember, they come because the scaffolding goes around the entire room try and shoot at them from one side of the room leaves you open to the other to the ones on the other side of the room which team dynamics at play you usually want to split up your efforts to deal with the pirates so that they don't you know flank you where you're not looking because the thing with those pirates is if they're too far away they will move closer to you so that they can shoot you easier and then of course you got to deal with the troopers who are good at 
hitting you when you're looking, trying to deal with the pirates. Mm. Uh, just a general note about the enemy types. The pirates are ranged, whereas the troopers are uh, close range because they have the, the sword arm. Yeah. Yeah, they're kind of similar to those enemies in, in, in Halo. But, uh, yeah, uh, that's a really important distinction up to make. And and um, as we were talking about in the first podcast, I think near the end of the first podcast, we were saying how the gyro can become really helpful for when you're close, or well, at least it feels really great as well, you know, when you're really close to an enemy and you're sort of moving past them, you're charging your shot, and then you gyro just to the side, and so you can sort of run past them and side blast them as well. And so because, you know, troopers, you know, they jump in, they kind of look around briefly, and then they move on towards you. So there's lots of opportunities in this arena to um, to sort of charge, move, and adjust with the gyro. And sort of, and if you can do that, then that'll mean that you can avoid some of the flank from the um, space pirates upstairs, while at the same time, keeping the um, troopers off your back. Another way to avoid some of that flank is to just keep your back to the wall because it simplifies, you know, you won't be in an arena surrounded where someone could jump in behind you. Uh, you don't even have to, have to bother looking at the map because when your back's to the wall, nobody's going to come in behind you. Right. Mm, um, I think at one point we did a you know, back-to-back -back sort of thing in the center of that arena. Yeah, we did. Yeah. And you've also got the ice, um, you know, the icicle um, uh, pillars as well to act as cover. But again, you know, you, you're surrounded by pirates. Right. The troopers, um, because they're the close-range enemy, they also, I would say, demand more attention because of the fact that they run up to you and slash you. It's also where the dynamic of charging causing your movement speed to slow um, becomes more important because when if you're loading up a charge shot and they start running after you, you can't outrun them, even if you're backing away from them. Mm. Also, you can jump over that little thrust they do, but the timing is really tight. There still have been occasions where I try jumping over them, but they still manage to chip up my feet anyways. Mm. It's also another way to where sometimes you might want to let go of a charge shot early just to deal with them, and so you can potentially put them in hit stun. Mm. Um, something that I want to comment on, and we didn't quite, I don't think that we quite um, got to this in the um, in our pre-discussion and in the notes that we took, but um, there are waves, right? You know, so. Waves in action games are pretty common. You like have a wave of enemies and you beat those enemies and the next wave come in. And we're trying to figure out um, how tight together the waves are. And it would seem that they're, that they're quite, well, so there's two waves. So there's the flies and there's the pirates. And it would seem that I think by the time you've got rid of at least you know, eight out of the ten or so flies that you know, that the next phase would then start. So there's not really a lot of overlap. And if I remember incorrectly, it's sort of, for this overall arena, it's uh, one wave of I-Flyers, one wave of Pirates, one wave of I-Flyers, one wave of Pirates. So it does repeat. Yeah, no, actually, I think it, it's um, the wave is I-Flyers and then Pirates spawn in a little bit afterwards. That's what I was kind of getting at earlier when I say that... Um, the spawning of the pirates is staggered after when the eye flyers spawn in. I can test this right now to just to verify to see if it really is get rid of eight, most of them, and then the pirates come in, or if it's actually timing based. I'm going to find yeah. out right now. At least from my uh, recollection, I think the second time that the eye flyers spawn in, you know, for that second instance, the eye flyers and the pirates are kind of close up together. So it does. In the second instance, it does sort of overlap, and you've got to deal with the pirates and the eye flyers to a little bit of together. The way it felt in gameplay was that, like, it started out with the eye flyers, and then you dealt with those, and then you had pirates, and then the troopers came in, and then like all hell broke loose, and you had 
uh, three types of enemies running around at the same time doing totally different things. Mm, yeah, it does overlap, but I think it's it's in these cases it's quite hard to measure the with the three of us playing. It's hard to measure the triggers. Watching the uh, Shadow Mario three playthroughs, he kills everything really fast with missiles, so he makes it look a lot cleaner than when we played. Mm. There's a lot less overlap with him. Um, Adrian, how are you going with you? Oh, I think I think you're. Well, it's hard to say because I. Oh no. Oh wait, here's there's actually another wave of eye flyers. Okay. It might be different because of the way the ship is in single player, but um. Yep. Oh, there are the pirates. Yeah, I've got like seven eye flyers running around, and pirates are coming out. So it's actually a. It could also just be a single player thing or just because of the way we play. So first, you get like five eye flyers. If you destroy like three or four of them, another batch of eye flyers coming out, and that's where you know where we kept seeing ten in the video. But I think in multiplayer, like all ten come out at once. So I do mm. think they actually adjust things. And the thing is, I didn't bring any of the a little sh the drones with me. So I'm completely by myself. So I do think there are differences between playing single player single player with drones might even vary on the number of drones and multiplayer mm. so they might hold back some of the eye flyers you kill just as many but um they adjust it for your attention span you know one player won't have the attention span of three right so once i killed you know like um I think... not attention span i i don't know what the word i want there is yeah but, so just breaking up kill... the task basically yeah, so once I killed like three more eye flyers, there's still like seven of them running around in the room, but then the pirates just spawned in anyway. So I do think it is actually based on the number of enemies that are killed. It just doesn't have to be all of them in the room. Mm. Mm. So it is layered. Uh, it's, I was completely wrong. It's not timing based. Mm. Okay. So what you're saying is that there's a significant likelihood that at some point, possibly the, possibly later into this arena, where the enemies overlap and they come out sort of roughly at the same time. Yeah. Mm. Were there any other things that we uh, needed to comment on for this section? The pillars are a nice idea, but I think they're they're mostly. Well, I don't really get them honestly. I think they're just there for foreshadowing at this stage. Um, they don't actually function as they do in later um, in later on in the mission where you can actually shoot down icicles, but they're just there to remind you that if it looks breakable, it is breakable, so break it. That's what I would say. I would also say that they're there for cover. You know how you have pirates flanking in the room. If you see them fire a shot at you, it's easy to hide behind the pillar. So what you're saying is that you can use the um, pillars as cover as well, or the destructible cover. Yep. So following the um, the first arena, we have a beautiful hallway, um, which every time we go past, I always stop and say, damn, this game was good. And there's an optional mod outside, but uh, if you're going for three medals, then you should probably forget that mod. <laughs> yes. This is a simple example of how going for the three gold medals, um, in this case, trying to meet the time requirement changes the nature of how you approach on the missions. Because in this case, it's, it, it was simply too costly for one of us to go outside and grab that mod. So we just had to change our tactics. And so certain options become less viable um, depending on the time that you have to complete the mission. And then we move on to the next room, and um, it's, you know, we're going to see a pattern here, guys, where we've got pretty much every room is unique and different, and it stresses its own sort of, um, uh, you know, spatial dynamics and its own strategies and tactics. Room two. Room two is a bit of a staircase, isn't it, Greg? Yeah, it's got that ramp on it, and so you still have a kind of scaffolding feature where if you're in the lower area and pirates will shoot you, you can walk up to meet them. And then, if I recall correctly, there's like a, a second 
layer there where pirates can still shoot at you from above. So there's a lot more height variation in this one. Mm. I think the difference between this and the first room is that in the first room, as players, you're limited to the bottom floor. But in room two, you can shift between the floors by you know, moving up the stair, um, you know, up the sort of two sets of um, ramps. And so because of the way that the that the room is designed as a staircase, um, the challenge shifts dramatically based on where you're located in the room. But in saying that, it's worth noting that most of the enemies um, either spawn from the the section between the two ramps or between the two you know, stair, uh, parts of the staircase or at the bottom floor. So actually, if you're on the upper area, then you're kind of a little bit separated from the action. Cool. Anyway, so what enemies spawn in? So in that section, you get the... Is it just the troopers and the elites? No, you get the bruisers. Yes, there's two bruisers as well. Sorry, I mix up bruisers and elites. <laughs> So it's just the troopers and the bruisers, right? Yeah. Um, and just to clarify, bruisers are the giant hulking. I mean, they're not like they don't even look like space pirates, but they're these giant hulking menaces with um, uh, with a you know, sort of green glow um, in a sort of bracelet formation around their neck, and then also uh, a bit of green on the back and a bit of green uh, elsewhere on them as well. I think under their feet. You have to shoot very specific spots or else they won't die. Like regenerators. Mm, and those have like a radial ground pound effect, so they can be pretty tough. Yeah. Uh, just just a, a note about the first room. Yeah, they all spawn in at once. So the second wave is unlike the first wave where, you know, they're a little bit staggered. In the second wave, they just all come at once. The eye flyers, the pirates, and the troopers. Also, I can't understate how easy it is when you're trying to deal with one trooper for just another trooper to just slice you from behind where you may not have even seen him. That's uh, why the wall technique is really important. Yeah. Uh, but even then, if you're busy shooting one trooper, that means you're not shooting the other trooper that's literally two feet next to him. Mm. So that he can just come in and slash you. They also can dodge. I keep forgetting that, but the troopers, uh, they've got some moves. So where they cartwheel back away to dodge whatever you're firing at them. It's kind of funny. Uh, a note about the second room is that because of that ramp and the way it also has that drop-off, you can use that to escape the troopers. Uh, it gives you an option to deal with them that you didn't have in the first room of just you know trying to tuck yourself away to behind out of the wall. What I noticed, though, with... Um... When the bruisers would jump up and you know, slam the ground with their fist, if they weren't to do that sort of um, a little bit above you, you know, so let's say at the middle part of the uh, in the section between the two ramps. So if, if they were in that section and you were um, on the on the on one of the ramps itself, or a little bit sort of on the lower ground, it would still hit you. Um, as well, which was quite an interesting observation in that it's there's an extra dimension to that attack that you may not expect given that it is a ground pound which uh, you know, appears for all intents and purposes to be a sort of a flat run. You know, there's actually a height dimension to that. Right. I think what happened, it's a little bit like the ice tie where he slams the ground and it goes parallel with the ground which means it mm. also goes you know which means if he's doing it near the top, it's actually going to go up the, the ramp, up the slope at a diagonal. Mm, yes. What do we want to say about the combination of enemies in this room? I mean, I found this room quite tough, actually. And of the three of us, I, I would die quite a bit in this room. So what's going on here is you have this these big bulky enemies, two of them, I might add, at the same time. And they, de they demand that you use the gyro aiming to shoot to specific parts of their bodies. But then you have these little dudes who are much faster coming in, just running straight at you to slice you up. And of course, there's several of them. So it's a room where you need to manage between the big, slow moving enemy that usually tries to hit you up close and the smaller, faster ones that try to hit you up close. 
And the nature of space in that room, it kind of clusters everyone up together in quite a confined space. And so if you've got three players and you've got three players, two bruisers, and let's say, you know, three or four pirates, it's pretty cramped. Yeah. And so there's not a lot of um, mobility options, and that becomes a pain when they do their ground pounds. Well, my experience, you know, Adrian will be running a bruiser downstairs, and so I'll go upstairs and I can hot shot him pretty easily. Mm -hmm. This is where team dynamics come into play. Yeah, and and I think that that height advantage that you talk of, Greg, is really the optimal strategy um, as well. There's that. It's nice being higher because you can see him easier, but also because when he does his ground pound, I'm not going to be hit no matter what. Yeah, absolutely. But we didn't even, you know, we didn't really execute on that strategy, and I think the reason why is because. So many, so many enemies spawn at once on that middle area, and they kind of block your access to the higher ground. Um, I, I remember running away from fights and shooting at enemies from far away while you two were maybe a little closer. Yeah. So what you're saying, Greg, is is you used us as a decoy while you <laughs> snuck around the back. <laughs> well, the Samus one isn't doesn't live too long, so. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. Using a decoy is another thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of us as decoys, not the Santa's decoy. <laughs> I'm trying to see another video so I can confirm if the the shockwave of the of the elite bruisers actually. Oh, that, that's actually another thing I need to point out is that first they're regular bruisers, and then the second batch are actually elite bruisers, which do behave differently from the normal ones. So that's how you can tell this is the last shooty mission. Yeah. And uh, the elite bruisers, usually they're topper, but they also attack more frequently. So whereas a bruiser would do one ground slam, the elite bruiser would do like three ground slams, one after another. He, go, he really goes on a rampage. I'm trying to look for videos to see if I, I was right about what I said about the way their shockwaves go up the ramp. But everyone keeps using missiles and just takes, taking them out real fast. It's kind of lame. Yeah, missiles are the best way to take them out because they do splash damage, so you can shoot their front and hit their back. Yeah, it's like they're all playing on baby mode. Yeah. Well, that's what I would do. <laughs> I'm, I'd use missiles on those guys. Why not? Good. Have a reputation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But when you try to go for score, oh no, it doesn't. Okay, he did that on the ramp. I was wrong. It's it's not like the ice hockey. It just the deal with the, that wave. It's is that it's not that one like the ice hockey does. It's this big, like almost like a water wave kind of. So yeah, you want to watch out for that when you're on the ramp. Mm. I actually end up jumping into it. Oh, another note about the bruisers. Um, you can't stun them if you shoot them right, but um, you know if you're doing pellets. Oh, that's right. If you use the charge shot, they'll like stagger backwards a little and give you some space. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if the levels change because I do see them firing off partial charge shots, and unlike other enemies, the bruiser actually does super armor through it. So I think it's a level three or fully charged shot that will stagger or slightly stun the bruisers. They don't have that much stun, though, compared to other enemies because they're not actually being hurt. They're sort of just, like, about pulling up their guard. Mm. Let's move on. Let's uh, go to the next room. Um, I'm happy to say a little bit about this one. Um, so it's pretty much a series of corridors. There's a few uh, optional box rooms with supplies or just areas where you can you know, get some supplies so it's sort of like the you know the intermission um and this particular this particular um room or series of corridors um it it um uses a a sort of challenge that was used earlier on um, in the game which is you've got a corridor and you'll walk down the corridor, and then there will be um, some turrets that spawn in. So the turrets spawn in, they can attack quickly, so you, know, you jump to the sides, um, you know, the bullets go past, you dash attack back out, and then you can, um, you can then you know, unleash your charge shots on them. 
Um, so it's 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 worth pointing out here that the, uh, that the cor uh, that most of the corridors with the uh, so most if not all I can't quite remember now but um, most of the corridors they are set at ninety degrees or set at a T junction like shape so that you know so that you do have an area that you can retreat to um, as you go around on the corner and the turrets pop up on you spontaneously. And I do feel like the turret bullets move too fast for you to dodge in and out of them that you have to use cover pretty much. Yeah. So with the iFly, like just for comparison, the iFlyers, when they shoot their purple bullets, um, I, it was pretty easy for me to strafe out of the way. Uh, the ones with those turrets, though, it's almost kind of a way leading up to what you will do in the boss for mission 20 to 21 where you mm. utilize that same technique of hop in, shoot, hop out of the way because of how fast they retaliate. There's more than one turret zone, yeah, and they're quick to fire. Yeah, they are quite quick on the mark, aren't they? Yeah. I also like the play on expectations there where the first cor yeah, the first corridor you get is just a, a breather between fights. And then in the second corridor... You get a decent breather, you get you pick up some items and stuff, and then there's this completely normal-looking hallway, and enemies pop out. Yeah, <laughs> it's a real old crap moment when you realize what they did. <laughs> yes. Oh, and there's a missile key at the end. So, so you get right up to the door, and you're like, oh, this needs a key. And then you look to the left, and you see that there's an icicle attached to the ceiling, and if you, um, you know, shoot the icicle, then the icicle will fall to the ground and you have access to the missile key. So you know, this is just a simple way to enforce um, an interaction that will be used later for the boss battle, or which, well, which could be used for the boss battle, um, and which you would need to use to get the uh, all three medals. We definitely got stuck on that the first time, though. It took us, like, five minutes to figure out what to even do. Yeah, that was, that was a little goofy when that happened. <laughs> We're going to move on to room, th well, to room three, or the third main room. Um, this is my favorite room in the game, so I'm happy to take this one. Um, so um, I think this room is quite a... Um, at least compared to the other rooms we've had so far, it's it's the most complex in terms of its organization, um, that would, in terms of its spacing um, and how the enemies work within that space. So I've called this room the concert hall, um, and it's kind of like when you're at a gig and you've got like the main stage, which is up high, and then you've got um, this little area down low where you, you know, where you got you know, where you stand and listen to the music. Yeah, there's even a little catwalk jutting out into the room. That's right, yeah. So you've got the stage and you, you've got the catwalk. And to the left and the right of the catwalk, there is this sort of like um, bits to the side, of, uh, you know, raised parts of the stage to the left and right. So you've got these sort of catwalk in the middle, left and right alcoves. And then sort of a little bit out from those alcoves are some pillars as well. So it's quite a um, quite a complicated room. Um, pirates, and it's mostly pirates in this um, in this arena. Pirates will spawn in on the on the concert stage, and they will sort of um, hide behind parts of the rail, which are a bit thicker, and you know, act as you know cover spots um, or like a wall they can hide behind. So they'll spawn in from the top. And um, they will they will um, spawn in, and then they'll run to their cover. So you do have like a little window of time in which you can shoot them as they're running on towards that cover. Um, now, of those enemies that spawn in, you've got your generic pirates, and you've got your elites. As you work your way through this room, though, you'll get some elite flying pirates, and so. To start off, you know, the challenge is quite straightforward in the sense that the pirates are on the stage and you're down and below, and so your focus is straight ahead. But then you've got this um, 
the flying pirates are kind of spawn in and um, you know, they will, I don't know where they spawn in from, but they like flying sort of at the, um, at the back of the room. So in front of the stage and what's probably likely to be behind the players. And so you've got to worry about that as well. Um, you can use the pillars for cover, which is really helpful. Um, but because you've sort of got these alcoves and then you've got these pillars and then it's, and if you're at the back of the room where there's the most amount of space, then you can't really see as much and you're further away. So you have to lead your shots more. It's a bit of a, I don't know about, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but it's a, you can't have visual on a significant amount of the room at once. We're sort of limited to one of the two alcoves. Right. At first, it feels like there's a lot of good cover to hide behind, and then uh, as the fight progresses and enemies spawn in all over the place, it comes that there's a, a trade-off where you can find some safe spaces, but also it will be harder to see where your enemies are. Yeah. Not that you need to see them because you have a map, but it'll be harder to, you know, get a line of sight to shoot them, is what I mean. Yeah, especially when they have cover that they can hide behind and run behind. One property of the elite pirates is that they can actually run while shooting at the same time. And yeah. all enemies use cover, right? Yeah, the... Of pirates, yeah. Yeah, the pirates straight around. The elite pirates in general seem to be a lot smarter and more intentionally using the cover. Uh, I think both types drop down from the video. All I see is elite pirates are the ones that jump down and try to flank you up close. Mm. Uh, because they are also the ones that throw grenades at you. You can't forget that. Yeah. This room is also where using that strategy of tucking yourself by a wall is the least effective because, as we pointed out, um, the further back you are in the room, the less you have to really deal with them when they're behind cover and on those uh, balconies. This is one where Daniel would throw down a shield so that we could pick a good spot uh, close up to the stage, you know. Nice to see the performer from there. And then uh, we would just absorb so many hits using the shield and deal with the wave that way. Yeah, yeah I mean, you really have a lot of limitations in this room. You've got the... Um, all of the enemies are above you. They all have the height advantage. They have a clear cover advantage. And the space that you have as a player on the move-in... Um, you've got limited vision because of the nature of the alcoves and of the um, um, and you know, I think as well that the you know, that the two pillars are positioned so that if you're hiding, like if you if you're using them for cover, then you really can't get a good visual on the on the space parts as you're playing. Like it really obscures your vision, and really what you want to be doing is. Um, attacking on the pirates when they're either moving on towards cover or when they're in cover but you're in a position where you can attack an exposed part of their body which is slightly out of cover and so the so the actual uh, window of opportunity to attack is much more limited as well and I think it's those three factors on together that make this quite a challenging um, room and which is why you know, as you say I um, I would put down the old shield so you've got um, so you can't see as much you've got a height uh, the enemies have a height advantage um, and you've got I can't remember the other bit but uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the point remains <laughs> they have a height advantage and a cover advantage I also find that this is a room that uh, definitely mm. tests you more if you you know if you're willing to to use to do you know jumping shots mm, absolutely because because of the fact they're on higher ground and also because of that cover the closer you are the easier it is for you to hit the parts of them that are exposed because it's, it's not perfect cover it is it's like a upside down trapezoid kind of so the closer you are the easier it is to poke it to poke at the parts that is exposed the other deal is with the air the flying pirates there's actually regular flying pirates and the elite flying pirates you know them you know being high up in the air meaning you have to focus your attention upward which means taking the enemies that could potentially be right next to you or even the guys on the balcony out of you and of course they fire homing missiles which 
that's when you really need to move around the room and tucking yourself in a corner isn't really going to do you much of any good unless you're that good at shooting out the the missiles. But even then, that just leaves you a sitting duck for the guys on the balcony to just peck away at you. And I think that this, there's so many enemies in the level that putting that shield down means that, in our case, it'd be myself and Greg, um, and Adrian would kind of like go Rambo uh, or something. Yeah. I wasn't really paying attention at the time. <laughs> but um, you know, I put a shield down, and it was like, you know, the absorption bonus afterwards was awesome. So there's also that factor as well. But um, you really have to, uh, in my experience, you have to put the shield sort of at the edge, uh, at the entrance of the alcove, so that uh, in uh, it's uh, I guess in front of the pillar, so that it's not obscuring your view, and you still have to kind of move around a little bit in that space as well, you know, just to get those um, accurate shots for the limited opportunity that you have to uh, attack. I think we've covered that one pretty thoroughly. Um, it's my favourite room in the game, by the way. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned that, but uh, yeah, it's really um, a complex room. But, but I think these add up onto one thing and that it really forces you to engage with those core with the core of the game which is your gyro which is your movement and the strong spatial dynamics and all that good stuff that we talked about in the first podcast and then we have the fourth room um greg would you like to take us through this one so you get some more corridors and that leads you up to an outside room where um it's kind of a smallish, circleish arena, and there's a couple of um, spaces where you can take cover, and a couple of spaces where you can jump up on a ledge. But for the most part, you're just stuck in a plain old circle. Uh, it starts out with some ice hoppers, but then eventually bruisers come in, and also the Gripterixes, which are the roly polies. So this room is pretty varied compared to what has come before where you i, I kind of feel like up to this point it's a pirate mission mm-hmm. and then this has the ice hoppers and the gripterixes which tend to have um the whenever you're fighting an enemy that's not a humanoid they tend to have more simple ai but that also makes them more varied because you're not uh playing a cover shooter all the time so the ice hoppers will just hop around and shoot wimpy little grenades at you mm-hmm. and in a, in a clear arc that you can see whereas the Gripterixes will hop up out of the ground and uh, do a spin dash like a <laughs> they'll spin in place and rev and then come at you and it's a move that gives them quite a bit of invincibility I think you might be able to shoot them in the side to get them out of it but um, it's pretty hard to deal with anyway and uh, they also deal quite a bit when they bump into you. So you know, each enemy has a certain um, degree of power you know, um, within a game. And so what gives uh, the Space Pirates power is that they have AI. And in that sense, they're quite... You know, even though their behavior is pretty unpredictable, I guess, it's, it's quite dynamic compared to um, the other enemies in the game. And what the... Um, Gripterix, Gripter. Yeah, Gripterix. Gripterix. What the Gripterixes have is, you know, they only have like one move, but that move, you know, the roly poly dash move, it's really powerful. It's really fast. Yeah. And so that's how it, and so even though it, like, it doesn't have the, uh, the AI, you know, its power as an enemy comes from that attack, uh, you know, comes from the speed and the um, damage of that attack, of its only attack. So it's somewhat more predictable, but that predictability is traded for its for its speed and power, uh, for its speed and damage. Yeah, yeah. Not to mention, there's a uh, multiple of them, and there can still be ice hoppers uh, jumping around, spinning acid balls at you. You do have platforms, but the thing with the grifter axes is that not all of them, only the highest one, will actually protect you from them because of the fact that they rebound up in the air when they collide with something. So you can actually still get hit when you're on uh, the platforms there, trying to avoid the grifter axes. Mm. Yeah, they're pretty dang dangerous. Yeah, actually, that last point is a really important detail because it kind of 
those platforms, I thought it was a bit deceitful actually, because those platforms look like they can actually like protect you, but they kind of can't. <laughs> yeah, only the uh, the tallest one I think actually keeps you safe from them because they don't rebound high enough. Uh, the other ones are just low enough that they can still hit you on the way up. Mm -hmm. Uh, they also because of the how fast they move they also um stress that you use the side dash uh, as they're moving forward mm -hmm. too early they they'll just slightly adjust themselves so they they'll hit you anyways yeah they're very much like um troopers in the sense that they they're there to sort of um interrupt your established behavior or or you know what you're currently doing at that time yeah, and so you constantly have to um, switch your focus between the elite bruisers, who obviously are harder um, to kill, and your grip directors, which every now, like you know, which are off somewhere where you can't see them, and they're building up that charge, and they're about to attack you. So you've got to pay attention to that sound cue, and do yeah. the two things at the same time. The hoppers, I think, are reasonably separated um, from the other enemies, although I think in the second phase of the you know, of the confrontation, you know, they kind of, I think they're a bit more close on together, but, um, and they're pretty easy to get rid of and they're pretty simple, but, um, yeah, it's really those, um, shifting your focus between those, uh, two enemy types that is the core part of this challenge. Yeah. Shifting your focus between various enemies, especially various different types of enemies. Like, well, maybe not through this mission. It's pretty much consistent throughout the entire way, but it, it increases throughout the missions in the game. One more point was, it's just a more general point about how enemies and the ways they encourage you to use your mechanics in different ways, which is what makes fighting them all feel different. Mm. That I really do like. Yeah, I mean we've got a we've got a nice sort of rhythm so far, um, which ply room, and then we've got the boss. We've got the boss battle variation between these rooms um so we've got room one which is like um, um like a open space um and really um the main deal with space is that um is that it's really open-ended and you can be um and that the pirates have a high advantage and yeah, pretty. Um, you know, and there's a combination of the three enemy types: the flyers, the troopers, and the space pirates. In the second main room, we've got the elevation, um, and we have a lot of enemies in a confined space. So you go from a really open environment to a really confined environment, where the nature of elevation in the room has a well, where the players can actually engage in the um, height variation within the room. That's really tight, and there's a lot of enemies. We have a series of corridors, which is sort of like a bit of an intermission. Um, and it's a much more straightforward focus challenge because, you know, a corridor moves in like one direction. So, so the enemies are either in front or behind you. In this case, they're always in front of you. So this one's a bit more, um, a bit more of a straightforward challenge. Then we have uh, what we call room three, which is the room uh, the concert hall and you've got a height disadvantage so you can't play around with height anymore you've got obstacles and things in your way and you've got enemies and then we've got the fourth room which is returns to a sort of arena environment where it's more open but you have except for the uh, elite bruisers you've got enemies that well enemies and enemy combinations that we haven't really seen so much in the levels so far. So there's a heap of variation between those few rooms. Yeah. And so we move on to the final or the second. Uh, well, okay, so the, as I said, there's a supply room, which is obviously there so you can um, stock up on supplies so that you have some viable options for when you're dealing with bum, 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 the boss room. Um, with the highest height. Adrian, we'll take this one. All right. So naturally, uh, the main threat in this room is the Ice Titan. There's a bonus objective where you can drop spice on the Ice Titan, and you can use the cracks in the ground as a reference point to where to get the Ice Titan to stand. In a way, that sort of like 
manipulating his AI to stand somewhere where you want him to kind of goes back to the fourth mission in the beginning, which is containment. So, eh, kind of a neat, uh, neat carryover from that mission. And some of those skills are transferable, like using the slow beam, or you know, using um, using some players to um, lure the enemy over, while others, you know, prepare a sneak yeah. attack in the background. Adrian would volunteer to stand in the way, and then one of us would have to shoot down the icicle. Yeah. So that's a, another example where team dynamics come into play. Also, just because the fact that the ice time can only focus his attention on one person at a time, oftentimes something switching between players. Of course, that doesn't protect you from him doing his little grounds around him. So in the room, you also have three platforms uh, on each side getting progressively higher. Of course, they can still be attacked by the ice time and other enemies. Mm, they are like made of ice themselves, so they actually fit in with the fiction of, um, you know, that's been established um, at the start of the mission. Yeah, so they're destructible, and while they do give you a height advantage, they'll only protect you for so long. Uh, the Gryptor axes are definitely the main problem. And speaking of Gryptor axes, Gryptor axes and Zerberats spawn in this. Uh, the Zerberats are especially troublesome because as you may have mentioned last podcast they are very fast to strafe sideways and they can do that crazy jump attack where they latch onto your face get a bit of damage on you so the zerberats they're naturally are going to almost demand you to deal with them before you even deal back with the the ice titan if not get really good at dodging them when they try to jump and bite at you same thing with the grip axis where they can easily like ram you while you're trying to deal with the ice titan Attacking the Ice Titan itself isn't hard, but yeah, you know, the enemies that spawn in are pretty powerful enemies. The Ice Titan is the first boss in the game. Yeah, he is. Oh. Oh, the Ice Titan is also, you know, big and slow, kind of like a bruiser. Yeah, so we have this sort of um, very, well, in the variation on between, um, between missions where it's, you know, you take one in open space, and so it's a really slow moving enemy, and that's the function of it. Um, you know, you've a slow moving enemy in the first mission, piece of cake. Then later on in containment, you've got to like you can't kill them, you actually have to shoot at them, lure them over into cages. And then in this mission, you it's sort of like a combination of both, isn't it? Where you have to, um, for the extra objective, you want to lure them over, um, and then you drop the icicle on them. Um, so it's a bit of containment in there, but you also want to kill the enemy. Uh, so it's a bit of the first mission there. So they kind of combine those two, which is neat. And it's not just uh, for the bonus objective. The Isol also does a huge amount of damage. And uh, it is interesting that the platforms are destructible. They make a really nice point from which to shoot the Gryptorixes because they're rolling around on the ground and like I don't want to deal with that. But uh, the Ice Titan comes and knocks out your platform, and suddenly you're in a huge pit of guys rolling everywhere. Another interesting note is that all the enemies here are enemies that have to damage you up close. So it's a good balance of, you know, basically mostly melee enemies of different speeds. Uh, the fastest being, I guess you could say the fastest as far as normal movement would actually be the Zerberats. The Gryptor Axis are fastest as far as like attacking. Mm. Otherwise, they're more of a stop and pop enemies, whereas the Zerbrats, they're always moving around, which is what makes them such a pain. And then, of course, the Ice Titan's the big slow one. Uh, but yeah, this would have been a, a shit show if, it, if there was actually a space pirates, you know, shooting at you while you're trying to deal with the, the, the Ice Titan. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting how these three enemies layer, or not layer, but they show a significant variation in um, time and speed, or sorry, time and space, uh, where the Ice Titan is big and lumbering, but he has a huge range of attack. And then you have the two smaller enemies with the smaller range of attack, but then their attacks are fast, but then they're fast at different paces. Yeah. Like you said, one was stop and pop, and one was more consistently running around. Um, it's like... they. 
layer a lot here, even with just the simple time and, and space. Mm -hmm. And that also goes to a point I made earlier about the variation of enemies feeling different and how they encourage you to use your mechanics different ways. Zerber rats, their high stray speed makes you want to naturally lead your shots in order to shoot them. Not so much with the grip axes, but for them, it's a matter of timing and getting them when they're actually vulnerable and when they're done spin dashing. But you also got to be quick about it because they're quick to go back underground to where you can't hit them anymore, and then they spawn somewhere else. And then the uh, the ice sign is easy to hit. Of course, you, he also encourages you to use your uh, gyroscope, gyro aiming, to hit him on his weak points, the gems on his arms. Of course, he has super armor most of the time, meaning that he still will power, he still keep attacking even when you're hitting him, whereas the other enemies will take hits done. Hmm. So, the final rune. Are we ready for it? Yeah. So, the final rune is the transfer device rune, and these become um, a recurring room in the final few missions. Basically, you have a, uh, again, you've got a sort of arena room. Uh, it's sort of shaped in a circle. There's a central shaft, and on that shaft, there are some yellow um, targets. Nubs. Nubs that you have to shoot. <laughs> um, and you know, once you've um, destroyed all of them, then then you've um, finished the mission. So um, what's interesting uh, you know, about this particular challenge, just in and of itself, is that you have to use the gyro, which is helpful. Um, you lock onto the pillar itself and, and use the gyro to adjust towards the targets. That's it. That's the one. Um, you've also got a couple of space parts, uh, some elites that are kind of just standing around. Yeah. Um, it's quite funny, actually, because when you walk into the room, you know, like they're kind of like walking around, you know, doing their uh, patrol positions, and then like, whoa, you know, <laughs> like catch them off guard, which is really funny. Um, yeah. But um, there's only a couple of them, I think maybe two or three. So it's not too bad uh, in that sense. Um, you also have to use a charge shot on the, uh, on the uh, transfer device as well to break those... Um, uh, break the yellow nubs um, and there's also a ring that moves around the central pillar which um, adds a timing element to it as well it'll obscure the nubs yeah it's a pretty slow moving one yeah and so what happens in later missions is that you'll have a ring um, and you'll have more protrusions that'll cover up the nub itself. So you'll have the ring moving, you'll, you'll also have the nub moving, you'll have these protrusions. And so in later missions, the transfer device room is quite, um, there's quite limited windows of opportunity for which you can destroy the nubs. And there are more enemies as well, so it gets pretty tough. But this one's pretty simple. Yeah. The, um... There's actually elite troopers in this room, so, you know, basically think of the elite space pirates with these sick purple uh, flamberges, and they also do that cool jump attack, but they're also more dangerous. It's kind of exasperating to kill the boss and get through that hectic room, and then there's more enemies. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a last, last, uh, last gasp, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess another element of team dynamics at play here is um, having to, usually you two would go after the transfer device and I would try to defend you both as best I can from the, you know, the elite troopers. Yeah, because you only have, so, like, you can only focus on so many things just as a matter of your attention span, but also your view. Yeah, because you're looking up, which means it's, unless they're like right in front of your face, you often won't see them even just running up in front of you. Yeah, yeah. You know, that lock-on on the central pillar, just like it obscures your vision of everything else around you, really. Because it's sort of raised a bit, so your viewpoint is raised and you're looking over the heads of your enemies. 
Mm-hmm. You're also focused on timing your shot. Right. Mm-hmm. I guess it's also a good point to note, um, Daniel, you brought this up earlier, but that's also it's using the sound cues because this game is actually really good with audio. So for things oh, like yeah. grip direct is not blindsiding you, um, it helps a lot to actually like pay attention to the sounds in this game so that you don't get blindsided. The space parts, you know, they naturally, they screech a lot. So pay attention to that and you can uh, deal with the troopers. Mm. You can deal with them without even having to look at them. And that brings us to the end of uh, this uh, this uh, first level of our discussion, which is Incursion Mission 19. Any final thoughts? Yes, this is a cool mission. I actually did manage to beat this mission by myself, and I get all three gold medals for it. Why would you do that, Adrian? We're a team. We all promised oh, each other we wouldn't play solo. It was it was afterwards, and it was just because I wanted to see because we were still asking like what's the difference between playing by ourselves and multiplayer. So I just had to know, and so I tried it on this mission. And it actually is still perfectly doable in multiplayer. It's not one of those missions uh, like Blender, which we'll come to later, that we thought uh, is one of the more co-op stress ones. Listeners, this will be Adrian's last podcast with us, the Federation Force. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I actually <laughs> originally suggested you know, um, several times, like, yeah, I like this single player. I actually... Even though I was the one saying that a lot, I actually never, <laughs> never really played much in single player. So, um, yeah. But talking about it now, I'd really like to do that. So, um, yeah, this mission, even though the objective is pretty straightforward, just get to point B. Um, there's a lot of variation in enemies and how they use the level design, and uh, also has a good sense of pacing. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, absolutely. 